0: Have you always thought the Old Testament feasts were only for Israel? If so, you may be in for a surprise, today, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Shalom, and welcome to Messianic Perspectives, a daily program where we look into the scriptures from a distinctive first-century Jewish point of view. Today, our Bible teacher is Dr. Gary Hedrick, President of CJF Ministries. Gary's topic for this current series of studies is the Spring Feasts of the Lord. He's explaining how the seven feasts in Leviticus 23 are not only significant in themselves, but also how they collectively form an exciting outline of God's prophetic plan leading up to the second coming. I'll be back at the close of the program with news about a special offer. And now, here's Gary.
1: Right, Thank you and welcome, listening friend, to another edition of Messianic Perspectives. It's good to have you with us today as we continue this study of the spring feasts. And for the past few programs, we've been talking about one common thread that runs throughout all of the feasts, and that is the theme of sacrifice and redemption, the idea that it costs something to neutralize sin. In other words, God cannot wink at sin. He cannot... Um, uh, ignore it. He can't just say, don't worry about it. It's okay. I know you're doing the best you can because it's not okay. Something is dreadfully wrong with this old world and everything that's wrong can be traced back to one act of disobedience by Adam and Eve. You say, Gary, do you really believe that story about the snake in the Garden of Eden? Do you really believe the whole human race descended from one man and one woman like the Bible says we did. Well, excuse me, but yes, that's exactly what I believe. And you know what? You might be surprised to learn that even modern scientists have found that when they trace our ancestry genetically, using computers to analyze our mitochondrial DNA and to extrapolate backward into the past to see where we came from, the computers give an answer to, the scientists didn't expect. They said we all share a common female ancestor who lived about 200,000 years ago. The molecular biologists who conducted this study back around 1990 or so even gave this common female ancestor a name. Guess what they called her? Eve. And yes, I know that study has been called into question by uh, certain scientists who don't like their conclusions. Well, of course, anytime someone in the scientific community dares to stand up and say, Hey, look at this. The Bible is true. Naturally, he's going to have a lot of opposition. So these molecular biologists who discovered Eve back in the early 90s have taken a real beating in the scientific community. But now guess what has happened? Another study, unrelated to the first one, has come up with a similar conclusion, only this time they used the Y chromosome, and the results of this study say that modern humans are descended from a common male ancestor who lived about 180 years. 8000 years ago. So isn't that interesting? Now we have a common female ancestor and a common male ancestor. The human race has a mother and a father. And I don't know about those long periods of time, you know, 188,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago. I personally think Adam and Eve may have lived as recently as 10,000 years ago. I think these scientists make certain assumptions about rates of mutation that we might not agree with. But what's interesting is that you have two different studies, 10 years apart, one using the mitochondrial DNA, which is carried by the mother, and the other study using the Y chromosome, which is carried by the father, And they not only agree that all human beings can be traced back to one mother and one father, but they're also in agreement about when these two people lived. And by the way, remember they called the female ancestor Eve? Guess what they're calling this male ancestor? That's right, Adam. So when you say, Gary, do you really believe uh, what the book of Genesis says? Yes, my answer is most definitely. Absolutely. And listen, I don't believe it because some scientists have conducted DNA testing that indicates it may be true. I believe it because God said it. Those studies could be completely discredited tomorrow, and it would have no effect whatsoever on my faith in God's word. The only reason I even mention these studies is to show you that the story in Genesis isn't as far-fetched as some people say it is. Every man, woman, and child who has ever lived on this planet is, in fact, a descendant of Adam and Eve. So when they sinned, it corrupted the whole gene pool. It affected all of of us. That's why Romans 5:12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. You see, we're not only sinners because of what we do, we are sinners because of what we are. In fact, we do what we do because of what we are. We are sinners and we are born that way. That's why we need redemption, because what's broken in this world has to be fixed. But there's a price. It costs something to fix it. And the Bible says the whole thing started back in the Garden of Eden, thousands of years ago. It says this sin nature has been passed down to us from Adam and Eve. But we never had the scientific understanding to know exactly how sin was transmitted from one generation to the next. But you know what? Now we do. Now we know. Because modern molecular biology and genetics have shown us that DNA is literally the building blocks of life. The blueprint for every single detail of who you are and what you are is in your DNA. A doctor friend of ours told us not long ago that there's a theory that says your whole life is mapped out in your DNA, including how long you will live. And how you will die. And he also said no one knows for sure why we have to die. No one knows why our cells only replicate a certain number of times and then they stop. It's like they hit a brick wall. We get old and we die. Theoretically, we should be able to live forever with old cells being replaced by new ones. But the cells only replicate a certain number of times and then inexplicably they stop. It's like it's programmed into the DNA itself that we are going to die. Now, it's interesting. Somebody wanted to know if Jesus had not been crucified, would he have grown old and died? You know what? I don't think so. Yes, I know he was fully man. He took upon himself a body of flesh and blood, and he assumed human form. I understand that. But he did not inherit the sinful Adamic nature. Because remember, we're not only sinners by virtue of what we do, but also by virtue of what we are. We inherit a sinful nature that was passed down to us from Adam and Eve. So if Jesus had inherited that same sin nature, he would have been a sinner. So, somehow, God protected him from the transmission of that sin nature through the DNA. It probably had something to do with the virgin birth, even though I've heard Bible teachers try to explain it that way, and frankly, I think most of their explanations are pretty lame. One well-known Bible teacher years ago used to have a booklet on the chemistry of the blood, where he explained how the virgin birth protected Jesus from inheriting a sin nature. And others have taken that same approach, you know, that says, Uh, the father doesn't contribute anything genetically to the blood of the baby when it's in the womb. But we have talked with hematologists and medical doctors and geneticists who say that is just plain wrong. I don't think anyone understands exactly how it happened, because all the Bible tells us is that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and the power of the Most High, El Elyon, overshadowed her. And the angel told her. He said the holy one who is born of you shall be called the son of God, not the son of Mary, but the son of God. So what happened, as far as we can tell, is that Jesus had perfect DNA, like what Adam would have had before the fall, before he was contaminated by sin. In fact, the Bible calls Yeshua, Jesus, the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man, or Adam, was of the earth, made of dust. The second man, capital M, is the Lord from heaven. So Jesus is the last Adam, or the second man. In his incarnation, he was like Adam was before the fall. And we know that before the fall, Adam would have lived forever if he had not sinned. In fact, they had to keep Adam away from the tree of life because evidently the fruit of this tree had properties that might have artificially counteracted the effects of sin and enabled Adam to live forever, even in his state of sin. If you can imagine that. So that is what this is all about. As we make our way through these feasts, we find sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Every year in the temple, thousands of gallons of blood was shed, mainly the blood of sheep, goats, rams, and bulls. It was God's way of telling us that we need redemption. And as we saw before, the New Testament tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. All it did was cover the sin for another year. That's what the word atonement means, a covering. Through the sacrificial system, sins were covered temporarily from one year to the next. But through our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, and his sacrifice on Calvary, our sins have been taken away permanently. And the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that wonderful? Don't we have a wonderful God? And you see, the purpose of all of these sacrifices during the spring feasts was to point prophetically to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. You see, in everything God does, he wants the focus of our attention to be on his son. That's why our mission in life is to know him and to make him known. Well, that's all of our time for today. So we'll pick it up here on the next broadcast. Until then, this is your friend, Gary Hedrick, saying, God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Gary. And thank you, listening friend, for tuning in today. It's always good to have you with us, whether you're listening from home, at work, or in your car. This is Messianic Perspectives, and you've been listening to Dr. Gary Hedrick talking about the Spring Feasts of the Lord, the seven annual meetings outlined in Leviticus 23. We have all the programs in this series available in a set of three CDs packaged in an attractive binder for a suggested contribution of just $18. That's the three CDs entitled The Spring Feasts of the Lord by Dr. Gary Hedrick for a gift of only $18. Just visit our secure online store at messianicspecialties.com to place your order. If you would prefer to order by mail, just address your request to Messianic Perspectives, P.O. Box 345, San Antonio, Texas, 78292. To order by phone, use our toll-free order line from the U.S. The number is 1-800-926-5397. Have you enjoyed this edition of Messianic Perspectives? Why not continue to learn about the Jewish roots of your Christian faith by inviting a speaker from CJF Ministries? Call our toll-free number 1-800-926-5397 and we'll be happy to handle all of the details. And as always, when you're in touch with us, please mention the call letters of this station. If you're listening to our webcast or podcast, we need to know that too. I'm Liz Aiello. Join us next time, won't you, as Dr. Gary Hedrick continues our series of studies on the Spring Feasts of the Lord, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Oceanic Perspectives is sponsored by CJF Ministries of San Antonio, Texas, and is made possible on this station by the free will contributions of our listeners in this area.